Hello and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. Today, we have as our guest, Dr. Tiffany Tajiri, who is the author of Peace After Combat. Dr. Tiffany, are you there? I am. Hi, John. Hi. Very good. Thanks for being on the show. Um, it's my blessing. Yeah, well, that's, that's good, too. <laughs> I, uh, I've been looking at, at, at your um, material, all that you've accomplished and how you did it. It's uh, very impressive, I, I must say, to begin with. Uh, and I'm Thank sure a lot you. of people think about it as well once they uh, hear from, from you during the show. Um, <laughs> I hope. Now, let's, let's go into your, to your uh, um, I guess, your education and your, your veteran experience, uh, Air Force, I believe, and now the Army where you are. Would you kind of bring up our, our uh, listeners to, to speed on that? Sure. I'm a licensed and board-certified clinical psychologist. So I did my residency with the Air Force, which means I was an Air Force veteran. I am an Air Force veteran. Um, I served as an officer and a clinical psychologist during that time. I did about five years, and then I decided that it was time for me to become a civilian so that I could color outside of the lines, so to speak, and write my own books, create my own theories, and just kind of have more of a platform to help people. And so with that being said, right now I'm working for the Army. I'm actually the chief of one of the largest behavioral health clinics at Fort Bliss, Texas. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, quite impressive, I would say. Um, quite impressive. You know, out of all the – I'm in Texas, and of all the places I've been in Texas, I've not been – I guess I've been through El Paso once or twice, but never stopped uh, – just to smell the air, I guess, and look around. <laughs> well, it is called El Paso for a reason, the pass, and so most people don't stay. They just pass through it. <laughs> uh-huh. And you've been there since high school. I've been I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. <laughs> That's terrific. You know, so many people don't have that. So many people are, are lucky to have that, um, you know, with, with, with people you know. It's um so that, that, that's a blessing, I would say. I concur. Um, I, um, I, when I first thought about Fort Bliss, um, I thought about El Paso, and then I thought you probably had a huge run on, the, uh, um, on your, I guess, your, your, your experience because of the shooting at Walmart. This is true. I would imagine you had a lot of new patients. You know, I think everybody was impacted by that living in El Paso. I also believe firmly, just like we've gone through this recent pandemic, whether we've had COVID, whether we lost someone because of COVID-19, we've all been impacted. It, it does something to our morale, our spiritual integrity, um, in good ways, most of the time we come together and we harmonize and we reach out 
to help heal one another. And we find this sense of strength in one another's presence. It's a real spiritual experience. I had some patients, maybe one or two, who were at the store at that time. Truly, my combat veterans had that event occurred. My combat veterans typically get triggered by anything that is concerning violence, right? So it exacerbates what they may have seen in combat. And so essentially we had to process that and emotionally digest all of those experiences. I always think of trauma like a constellation. If you experience an event and you don't process it emotionally or digest it, and then you continue to experience painful life experiences that you may call traumatic, for example, what happened with the Walmart mass shooting, it triggers itself. One event will light up the whole trauma constellation and all of those symptoms will then manifest. And so we have to take care of each of those events to process and digest so that we can find emotional, psychological, and spiritual peace. I, um, I'm familiar with uh, your use of, of the word, the, the process, uh, because it's not going to go away in five minutes or tomorrow or probably next week um, that process could be the rest of their life um, that's my experience and uh, I would think that most people uh, would come for help and they think oh geez I got to deal with this forever <laughs> oh man oh hmm so with that being said, experiencing something forever, I would challenge that to some degree. When you process it, you emotionally digest it, just like your gut needs to digest food. If you have a meal that upsets your stomach, the gut still digests and processes it, whether <laughs> it comes out of your, your mouth or out of your rear end in a very unpleasant way, it still has to be processed. And so when we have a traumatic experience, we have to confront it. Now, the hallmark trait of post-traumatic stress disorder is avoidance. So we don't want to process it. We don't want to digest it. But we have to in order to move on to find peace. What does processing look like? It means dissecting it. It means breaking it down into pieces. It means getting unstuck from it. What keeps us stuck are thoughts of, I should have done more. Survivor's guilt. Anything related, I, from a spiritual perspective, I always say it's the enemy whispering, you're not enough, you're unworthy, you're unlovable. See, it's your fault. That keeps us stuck. When we recognize that that's not the truth, when we recognize we're forgiven, when we recognize that we have grace on our side, when we recognize that God loves us and he's not the author of those bad things, when we're able to dissect the event and, and believe that we did everything we could because we didn't have a crystal ball to predict the future that day, it gets us unstuck. Essentially what it does is changes the memory. When all we can see is our pain, that's all we continue to reproduce. But when we can see that God was working, that we had a loving creator on our side, he didn't author the bad thing, somebody has free will on the other end, but that he made a way, that there were divine connections in place, that there were blessings in place, then we change the memory and how we see it. And instead of filing it away in what we call the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain, we actually file it away in the hippocampus, which is the normal long-term memory. And once it stays in that normal, long-term memory, we have essentially processed and digested it. 
Has it changed us? Absolutely. But can it change us for the better? That's our choice. We can use that negative experience as a testimony over our own life and to help other people overcome and to breathe hope in their hearts and minds. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one of the statements about your book is that trauma opens the door to deep spiritual issues. Could you elaborate a little bit on that, please? Yes. When something bad happens, we tend to, some people may, not everyone, but many people do think, God, where are you? God, are you allowing this to happen? God, are you the author of this? So my bottom line up front, for anyone who's gone through a painful life experience, which I think is everyone, it's going to happen at one point or another, we have to understand that God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And I believe firmly that if it's not love, it's not from God. So every bad thing that happens is not from God. I believe firmly that love requires relationship. And that's what God created us. We are neurobiologically wired to love and be loved. And love requires relationship, as I mentioned. And it also requires free will. So God's never going to take away our free will. Because as soon as he takes away that free will, the purpose of our creation, which is love, becomes null and void. So we have to understand that God is not the author of the bad things, that we will run into selfish people, we will be selfish people, and that God is on our side and he's going to be the one to get us through whatever turmoil we may be experiencing. Well, it certainly doesn't pick and choose um, in terms of, of who gets it and who doesn't. Some do better than others and some don't. I know that um, your, your, your first statement in terms of relevance was that trauma affects people of all walks of life. Um, and, and nobody has been selected uh, because everybody is exposed to it. And um, it uh, does open those doors, I think, to deep spiritual issues. Um, something I saw, uh, what is rhythm restoration? Rhythm restoration is a form of treatment that I created. It is a way of helping us hold our thoughts captive to Christ. And I think one of the things that I want to address too is that Jesus, being fully God and fully human from a Christian perspective, was not immune to the suffering of the world. He was not immune to trauma, period. So he went through it, and he endured the cross so we can endure whatever comes our way in life. And we have to lean in on him, is my firm belief, because he understands. He understands pain and suffering. And so rhythm restoration truly helps us to rewire our brain because our brain is neuroplastic. So our mind is the captain of the brain. So essentially the mind is the free will that makes decisions that shape the brain neurobiologically. And so what we have to do is make the proper decisions. and The decisions we make have to be made in light and love so that we can find healing. And in Rhythm Restoration, I ask us to take these old memories that we have that are painful and I ask the person in front of me who's going through the treatment to see where God was in the midst of it, all the goodness. They take off those blinders of pain and essentially, like I mentioned earlier, they rewire the memory 
to see mm-hmm. that everyone suffers, that they're not alone, that God made a way. He parted the Red Sea. He did all these little blessings that they failed to acknowledge because all they could see was their pain. So essentially it's rewiring the memory, breaking it down to the very physical substrates of the DNA of the neurons in that memory so that it files away differently. One of the key components to rhythm restoration is rhythm. It helps us to calm ourselves. It helps regulate the autonomic nervous system. Bilateral stimulation is another component, just tapping, alternating back and forth, right hand, left hand, right hand, left hand. And bilateral stimulation helps the brain to process and digest. We do it when we walk or run. We do it in REM sleep at a subconscious level. So we bring that to the moment. And we also use visualization, rehearsing the memory, changing the memory, bringing peace to the memory. Rhythm restoration is also used to help us visualize the abundant life God has called us to live. And if we can see it and believe it and see it in our imagination, it increases our faith and our hope so that it may manifest. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And God states in Ephesians 3.20, I can do more than you can ever imagine, guess, or request in your wildest dreams. So I believe firmly we need to use our imagination to help our lives go in the direction we want it. And, you know, when we use our imagination, we're actually changing the brain. The brain many times does not know the difference between a real and imagined experience. Think of the Olympic athletes we're seeing on television, the gymnasts. They visualize their performance over and over again, laying down adaptive neural networks of nailing each event, which creates a network when they're actually physically doing it of increasing their likelihood of performing it to the degree that they visualize it. I think that um, it's not it's not often it's never easy um, when you go through something like this PTSD. Um, the there are other causes and symptoms to look for sometimes when people don't realize they have PTSD until I guess they've, they've been looked at and filled out a questionnaire and the VA says, Hey, you need to come see us. Um, was that part of the program in terms of Fort Bliss? Yes. They go through screenings or active duty service members when they return from deployments and those screenings will dictate whether or not they should go seek behavioral health. Now, Everything in the military is is voluntary for the most part. You know, we can't force them to seek behavioral health services or treatment. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. But we can recommend it and encourage them to seek that guidance to help them process and digest whatever experiences they may have. Well, I would hope so, um, because there is a, uh, uh, a huge amount of support uh, as you well know, in the VA, in the, in the, in the military. Um, and anybody that thinks that I don't need that, you know, <laughs> you know, get the, get the, get the paddle out and, and swat his bottom or her bottom for that matter, you know? Um, and also something with that, after it says post-traumatic stress. And then the next bullet point was the illusion of control. Is that where people think that, oh, I don't need any help. I'm doing just fine. Yeah, I would say that's part of the reason. Truly, that chapter 
stating control is an illusion is based on the fact that the only things in life we have full control over are our, our own thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. That's the only thing we have control over. Everything else is external, is influence. You cannot control me, I cannot control you, but I can have a high degree of influence over you, depending on what I have access to. If somebody has a weapon pointed to your head, then they have a high degree of influence over the circumstances. And so the reason I highlight this is because so many of our combat veterans come back from deployment and after a traumatic event, let's say one of their battle buddies got hit by an IED, they start to blame themselves as if they had control over the situation. The reality is that their influence may have been low at the time. They may have not had the intel they needed about the route that they chose, which led to the planted IED. The IED may not have been visible. The time of day or the lighting, they could not control. They could not control the persons who who buried the IED in the ground. So the idea is that they have influence, not control. But when we say we have control, that means we put full responsibility on ourselves even when bad things happen. And that makes us more prone to survivor's guilt. It makes us more prone to staying stuck and then consequently having PTSD. And this can also lead to someone to believe that they're unworthy, to be shameful, not wanting to be vulnerable to get the help that they need. And then you never know, but with the high suicide rates, it could cause them to end their life by suicide. Is the uh, is is there a, a hopeful change in suicide declining over time, or are we still dealing with the same um, numbers? I think changing requires the military to make some adjustments to how they educate people, the services that are provided the amount of providers they have available and the resources they have available for soldiers and veterans. So I think that we're as prone to PTSD as ever. Do we need to improve our access to care? Do we need to improve getting the message and the word out? Absolutely, because I think knowledge, accurate knowledge and truth shall set people free and help to get them on the path to healing. Right, right. But the, uh, the 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 patient, the GI, you know, he's they've got to realize that you know they've got a they've got a part of this part of this too. You know, sometimes they'll think, oh, nothing's wrong with me. That's probably the first thought that they have. Um, this, and, yes, and and many times people feel that behavioral health is a stigma and they don't want to get the help that they need because they feel they'll be kicked out of the military. But that's truly not the case. We really invest in our soldiers for a full year before we determine whether or not we keep them or retain them or work with them to find another outlet. Well, that's good. That's really good. Um, Sometimes, and, you know, through... My own life, uh, for instance, I had some marital uh, consultation with a psychologist, and um, it was uh, quite an experience. Uh, I decided uh, to to stay on after a year and was and was in therapy for ten years. 
so I know what's necessary. You know, it just kept, well, off and on 10 years. You know, it just rolls over and over and over and over. And then finally, you know, finally you get a handle on it. Um, but I would uh, certainly like that uh, in terms of, of the military. You know, the, um, the military has been good to me. It has. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm a Vietnam veteran. Wow, thank you so much for your service, John. Well, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and I always say, hey, you know, I was in Nam. Just tell me, welcome home. Wow, it's powerful. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I think that part of this that I know you deal with all the time is... Uh, you know, they, they have to stop at some point and say to themselves, you know, there's a reason for this. Where's the reason? What's the reason? And maybe they can begin from that, um, that step. Yeah, I think we need to find purpose in our suffering. I know for a fact that God's not the author of the bad things that happen. However, we need to find purpose in our suffering and we have to make our suffering worthwhile, whether it becomes a testimony to help others. We may be familiar with the scripture wherein it states in the Bible that God turns beauty for ashes or he makes beauty from ashes, meaning that when there is bad, not caused by him, but caused by destruction, because we know in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy. Whenever the thief comes, God will find a way to create love and light out of it. And we need to find purpose in our suffering. We have to find meaning existentially to help us to carry on and mm -hmm. to give us strength and hope. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you know as well as I, PTSD is uh, it's not just for combat warriors. Um, it can be for other events, other experiences, other traumas that aren't that aren't combat that can affect you, and you don't know it. Hmm. Yeah, that is correct. Yes, you know, no one's immune to the pain and suffering of the world, and so yeah, we will have negative life experiences, and it's not one we should not compare painful experiences, our painful experiences to somebody else's. think that's the number one no-no. And because you may say, hey, well, I didn't have to sit in the middle of Iraq or Afghanistan and, and watch my friend bleed out of my arms. So what I experienced when this man did this, that, or the other to me, that doesn't compare. So I shouldn't have trauma. I should be okay. That's the worst thing you can do. If you feel stuck on an event that hurt you, whether it's combat trauma or not, don't be sitting there judging the value of the hurt, the degree of the hurt, which hurt is more painful. It's not worth it. If it's bothering you, you need to fix it. If it's bothering you, it's real. You need to work to process and get unstuck. For one person, they might have PTSD for an event that you might say, really? And another person may have it for something that is severe and dire. We're all different in how we process things. Our context 
or how we grew up is also different. Our DNA, our biology is different. So we have to be compassionate to ourselves and have compassion for ourselves when we feel stuck by a painful event and not to minimize it and avoid it because that just makes it worse. Well, I agree. I agree 100%. You know, it was a period of time that that, uh, Vietnam did not affect me. I I screened uh, with a questionnaire, and they contacted me and said, hey, you need to come on in. You've got PTSD. And I said, what? Huh? Me? Huh? And uh, it wasn't from Vietnam. And then I looked around in my life and discovered that, you know, I had been um, a, a, a government witness for the FBI for nearly 14 years in, uh, in, in trying to uh, stay out of prison. So I was on the FBI side. And I went... Uh, I went one-on-one with the best combat uh, lawyers in Texas, criminal lawyers, and it just lasted. And I, I didn't know the effect it was having on me. Uh, wow. Nevertheless, yeah, well, it's it's in my book. It's uh, my book is called "Embracing the Abyss," and it's a wow. story of unknowingly becoming part of a fraud scandal receiving a presidential pardon and being surprised by a spiritual awakening. Mm. So powerful. And such a way that God turns beauty for ashes. Absolutely. Um, tell my audience, our audience, uh, how to find you, get your book, that type of thing, please. Sure. You can find me at drtiffanytajiri.com. That's D-R-T-I-F-S-A-N-Y-T-A-J-I-R-I.com. Peace After Combat Healing the Spiritual and Psychological Wounds of War can be purchased on any major book retailer from Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, ChristianBook.com, Walmart, you name it. Those are some of the few. And you can also reach me on social media, on Instagram and YouTube. I'm Dr. Tiffany Tajiri. I like to post helpful videos to help explain spirituality and the intersection between God and psychology and how we have to use both to harness the power of his love so that we can live the abundant life that he's called us to live. Dr. Tiffany Tajiri, thanks so much for joining us today. And... um, Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Uh, God bless you. Sure. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Searching for Integrity. So long and happy trails to all. Should I go?